The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I am forced to perform. I still believe there's a real me somewhere far underneath this act I'm putting on. So if I show who I am, what if they hate what I can never change? And so one more time, I step back onto the stage. I wish I could stop it, but the show must go on. It's time to begin the act. My name is Deborah Miller, and this is my story. I grew up in a family that most people would consider religious, with parents of two different faiths. Every week we attended two churches. It was really more of going and sitting there, but not taking to heart anything that I was hearing. As I grew, so did the tension between my parents. My mom was a very godly woman, and my father, was a religious man, but for many years his heart was far away from God. My father would take away our Bibles in anger or forbid us to go to the other church. And as I grew, I started to make choices that I knew I shouldn't, but I often chalked it up to not having the proper teaching or basically blaming it on something else besides just just me. But then, very suddenly, my father passed away. It was a a marker in the lives of my family um, because at that point, after that point, everything changed. What unseen burdens, weights are you carrying but you're trying to make it look like you're not carrying those weights or that those weights aren't nearly as heavy as they really are weighing you down. In essence, what's your act? What are you acting like you've got all together? Meanwhile, you've got burdens that are weighing on you, unseen, invisible chains that are weighting you down and nobody realizes the weight that you're carrying. I I know for me, mine was that I did not feel like I could be real or vulnerable or authentic. When we moved to the Hagerson area to start a new church, I felt like I had to kind of live up to this expectation that I was a professional pastor. And anytime I had seen, you know, anytime I interacted with other pastors, I mean, they were so spiritual, they had it all together, they, you know, they were so dignified, they're so, you know, respectable, and then there was me. And I didn't feel like I fit any of those categories. I mean, I felt like a goofball. I felt like, you know, um, I don't know, like a bull in a china closet. And, and so I felt like if I was real, people wouldn't want anything to do with me, or they certainly wouldn't think that I should be a pastor. Now, some of you, you still think that way. But thank you so much for participating with us. Thank you for joining us online. We're so grateful that you would even be willing to even listen in. But I, so I carried this, this weight that forced me to put on an act where I just felt like I couldn't be real and authentic and vulnerable. But the harder I tried to to put on the image to look the right way, the heavier the burden got and the harder it was to keep up the act. Now, before you go like judging me, let me just say you too 
I know you've got it too because uh, I have these really funny moments. Um, I was out golfing with a group of guys. I literally just joined a group. I went on a golf course. I was like, hey, can I, can I golf with somebody? They partnered me up with these group of three guys. And so we were a foursome. And the whole time we're golfing, you know, we're talking and just kind of hanging out, interacting. But my profession never came up. And, uh, toward, and literally, we were, and we were having a pretty competitive round. So we're like on the 17th hole. And they had been, you know, they've been cursed and drinking and having a good time on the course. And so I thought, man, I got to figure out a way to kind of get a couple strokes on these guys. And so I just said, oh, by the way, I'm a pastor. And then every one of them, they duffed their butts. They couldn't make a shot. And I was like, yes, it worked. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I was like, no, no, no big deal. I don't care. And you have no idea how many times um, I'm interacting with somebody. And because I don't tell them what I do, they, uh, when they find out, they feel the need to apologize to me. As if I live like, you know, in some bunker somewhere where I've never heard a curse word or, you know, I don't interact with normal people. But here's the point, right? All of a sudden, they feel this overwhelming weight to put on an act and pretend like they're not what they are. And you do too. And what is it for you? What rules have you picked up what lies have you believed that make you feel like you're not good enough? And because you don't feel like you're good enough, you act the part to follow the rules, to look good enough, to behave the right way, at least when you're around those kind of people. But it gets heavy, doesn't it? It gets heavy in the act looking the part and playing the part and pretending like you've got it together and pretending like you can follow all of the rules. And you know what that's called? It's called religion. See, religion is all about getting people to follow the rules. And religion is a great way. And so I just wanna ask you bluntly and directly again, what is it in your life that makes you feel like you're not good enough? What is it that makes you act? In fact, I want you to help me out for a moment. Uh, when you came in, each one of you, you, you got a card that looks like this. And I want you to get out that card and I want you to take a moment, and in fact, you can do it now, you can do it throughout the message. If you're joining us online or at any one of our campuses, we want you to take a moment, we want you to write those things out. If you're online, maybe you can just make a note. But you all take out the card and I want you to write, write it down. What is it in your life that makes you feel like you're not good enough? And you can write it, maybe something will pop in your mind five minutes from now, and while I'm speaking, don't worry, no one's gonna be pointing at you, but you just go ahead and you write that down on your card. This is the thing that you're, you're feeling like you're not good enough. This is the thing that's got you carrying a weight that is becoming heavy. See, here is the challenge with religion. Religion makes you follow rules so that you act good, and by virtue of believing that when you act good, you will become good, and if you become good enough by following the rules, you will impress God, and God will go, oh, wow, look how good they are. I should invite you into heaven forever. 
right? Now that's a really simplified version, but that really is kind of what religion promises, doesn't it? The problem is religion requires performance without the fulfillment of that promise. No, in exchange for a promise of goodness, it offers guilt. Because you know that no matter how much you do to try to be good, you're never good enough. And so instead of feeling good, you feel guilty. And I can't possibly be the only one that carries that burden. Now, there was a, there was a guy that he, he understood this. He, he, was, uh, he was one of those dropouts in the school of religion. He lived in a nation of very religious people. His name was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And uh, he, he was recognized kind of universally as a religious dropout, but still he's a Jewish man who's trying to follow the rules, but no matter how hard he tries, he's never going to be good enough. The reason is because in Judaism, if you're a tax collector, you are the lowest of the low. Just to give you an idea, in, this ancient, in the ancient land of Palestine, the Roman Empire had conquered and took control over. And then what they would do is they would hire Jewish men, tax collectors, to go out and basically cheat the people of money to pay for the Roman army to occupy their nation. Did you follow that string? So Matthew is one of the tax collectors. His job is to go out and extract money from people in order to fund the standing Roman army that in turn oppresses the nation who a Roman soldier can, can and would rape and abuse and murder at will anyone they wanted. And so you have a nation of people who are being abused and mistreated, cheated by the Roman Empire, funded, funded by their own money. So they're being robbed to fund the Roman Empire who's then abusing and cheating and murdering their people. And so they hated men like Matthew because here, here he is, a traitor and a cheat. Matthew meets Jesus who invites him to give up his life and follow him. And when Matthew begins to follow Jesus, he hears firsthand the teachings of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And late in Jesus' life, the week he was betrayed and arrested and sentenced to death and crucified, Jesus is teaching and Matthew 30 years later records this moment. He records the teachings. These are, these are some of the last teachings of Jesus before his death and that's significant because these are some of the last things Jesus is gonna say to his closest friends and followers and, he, and there's a crowd of people around him and Jesus is speaking and in his speaking he warns them specifically about this issue of religion. In fact, all of Matthew chapter 23, so some of the last chapters of the book of Matthew, the gospel perspective of Matthew, is Jesus teaching against religion where he writes this, and this is Matthew's writing of the words of Jesus. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so the Pharisees are these religious elite. These guys, they've got religion all figured out. They're the experts and the teachers of the law. They're the ones that tell everybody, here's the rules you've got to follow to measure up to our standards. So Jesus said, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Remember Moses, where he's the one that receives the Ten Commandments and all of the laws given to the nation of Israel. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now this sounds like Jesus is saying, yep, you gotta follow all the rules. You gotta do everything they say. But then he gives a little caveat. He goes like this. But do not do what they do. 
for they do not practice what they preach. They tell you to follow the rules, but they're not doing it. So don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They tie up, and this is what I want to catch your attention. They tie up a heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves, he continues, are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Did you catch that? This is what religion looks like. Religion gives you a long list of rules. Do this, don't do that. You have to go here, you have to eat this, you gotta dress this way, you gotta talk this way. You can't wear red lipstick, you can't wear, you can't go to the movie theater, you can't watch that movie, you can't do this. And if you do all the rules, you'll get into heaven. But the very people that are teaching the rules aren't living by the rules. In essence, they're putting a great weight on you and they're not even willing to lift a finger to help you carry the weight. They don't offer any support for the system of rules they're demanding from you. And this is the challenge of Jesus, that religion offers the promise of goodness, but in place of goodness only offers guilt. And so what is the way out? How do you climb out of, how do you get out of this religious trap? What do you, what do, you do with your own card of the things in your life that make you feel like you're not good enough, where you're putting on the act? What, what do you do with this? You, you and I, we, well, we do that with it. <laughs> you just throw it. We, we, know, we stick it in our pocket, and then this one little tiny card feels like it weighs like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? We carry it around, but here's what Jesus is offering. And this is the message, this is, the, this is a statement that jumps out of the teachings of Jesus, and it's what I want you to catch. It's what I hope you'll hear, and it's this. It's that grace makes us good. You and I, we, we try to be good. We work hard to be good. We, we want to at least look good, and so we put on the act of being good. But in reality, it's grace that makes us good. Why is it that no matter how hard we try, we're never going to be good enough? Because it's impossible to ever be good enough by your own behavior. Think about it like this. Imagine a bank robber. In fact, I had this conversation with one of my daughters uh, just the other day. I'm going to be very careful on how I say this because I don't want to tell on her, but we were having a conversation about a discipline issue and she was trying to convince me that she should not get in trouble because of all the times she bit her tongue. I don't mean physically, I mean, I mean she didn't say the wrong thing. She goes, but you don't know how many times I, I haven't, I've held back and haven't said what I wanted to say. So I'm sitting there thinking, listening. I said, so, so wait, you want to get off on good behavior because you didn't say more bad things? So it's like a bank robber going to the, the court, try to convince the judge, you know, I know I robbed that bank, but you have no idea how many banks I wanted to rob, but I didn't rob them. You should at least let me off on good behavior because I didn't rob all the other banks, right? This is the problem with trying to be good enough. How many banks do you not have to rob to make up for the one that you did rob, right? The problem is that no matter how hard we try to not do bad, we do bad. And no matter how much we try to do good, we don't do good enough. And it becomes this impossible burden that we carry through our life, always feeling like we're never good enough because in fact, we're not good enough. It's impossible on our own effort to be good enough. That's actually kind of the problem. 
And what is the core of why we're not good enough? Because you and I are hardwired at the core to not only not be good enough, but willingly to be bad. Let me, let me repeat that. Let me just make sure you didn't miss it. You and I were born with a self-sabotaging instinct called sin that makes us willingly do the wrong thing. We resist doing what's right and good. We don't want to follow the rules. In fact, if you give me a rule, I'm going to break the rule just because you told me I had to do it. Come on, I can't be the only one. In fact, I rarely do this, but come on, those of you that you're online with me, you're going to raise your hand in your house watching this on your computer. If you're with us online, if you're on one of our campuses, all of you, right? Raise your hand. If you're one of those people that if somebody gives you a rule, you're just going to break the rule because somebody told you you had to obey the rule. Raise your hand if you're one of those people. All right, those of you that are police officers, just, right? I've got my hand up. Like, come on, on our campuses, help me out, right? Any of you? you're out there, you're like, yep, that's me. Just give me a rule and I'm going to break the rule because you told me to. Somebody tells you to do something and you just don't do it simply because somebody told you to do it. You know what that's called? It's that little sin nature inside of all of us going, I don't think so. I'm going to do what I want. Now, here, so how do you get out of this mess? The problem is that sin wrecks us. It leaves us in a position, in a state of not only being not good enough, but genuinely being bad. And I say that in a very like, you know, like it sounds like such a wimpy little word to use, but I mean truly broken and messed up in our heart to the point where we are headed toward ruin, toward eternal judgment. That's the consequence of sin. We are separated from God on a life course toward eternal judgment. But God refused to leave us there. This is the beauty of the story Jesus is teaching, and he's talking to them just before he knows he's about to die. And in his teaching, He knows that he's going to do the opposite of what the Pharisees do. These teachers, these religious elite. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. He says this, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. But Jesus is going to do the opposite. Jesus says, not only will I lift a finger to remove the burden of religion off of you, but I am going to die in order to kill religion. I'm gonna give my life to remove the weight of religion off of your life. So Jesus says they wouldn't lift a finger, but you can lift my body up on the cross and you can destroy me. So this is the story of, of Easter. This is what we celebrate during a season where we recognize that Jesus says religion won't lift a finger to help carry the burden of you trying to measure up to the rules. But Jesus said, I have come to give my life. What, what is the message? It's this, that Jesus said, I have come so that I would die in your place. Jesus, the perfect God-man who gives his life as the payment for all of sin. And so when Jesus is hanging on the cross, what he's doing is he's taking the collective weight of sin on himself, the debt of sin on himself, and he is prepared to die in our eternal death sentence. His death, a once and for all death payment. And so let's jump ahead to that moment when Jesus is on the cross. He's hanging there. He's about to die. And you know what? This is what's on his mind. This is the moment. Here it is. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 27. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. That is, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, and then it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And then, and then let's just follow the story. John chapter 19, verse 30. So we're just kind of just walking quickly through this moment when Jesus is about to die. And, it, and he said, and it is finished. And another translation said, he cried out, it is finished. And maybe I can't adequately capture the emotion of that moment. So I'm gonna explain it to you. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And, and what's the point? In that moment, when Jesus said, it is finished, was, was he saying, I can't take it anymore? Was he saying, it's finished, I give up? No, 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 just the opposite. He's saying, it is finished, I have accomplished what I came to do. And what did Jesus come to do? To give his life as the payment for our eternal death sentence. And so what is the point? What is the takeaway? I, I wanna give this to you. But, but I'm gonna encourage you. I hope you're taking notes. I hope, you're, I hope you wrote down that grace makes me good. And here's another line I want you to write down. But the reason I want you to write it down is because I want it to go from your hand to your head to your heart. And it's this. Jesus took what he did not deserve to give grace we don't deserve. Did you catch that? Jesus took what he didn't deserve to give grace we don't deserve. Jesus did not deserve to die. He was the perfect God man. He had not sinned. In fact, another author says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The point is Jesus took the punishment he did not deserve to give us grace we don't deserve. So Jesus comes and he says, it is finished. What was he saying in that moment? He was saying this. He was saying that all of the punishment, imagine a cup. So I'm, I'm using a metaphorical cup, right? An imaginary cup that collected all of the punishment for sin. A, a massive cup that was holding the judgment against you and against you and against you. And, and it was being stored up so that in eternity it would be poured out forever into your life. You would be judged and condemned and judged again. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross dying, he begins to drink from that cup and he's drinking it and he's drinking it in every lash, in every beating, in every insult, in every mock, every moment when somebody is making fun of him, in every tear of his body, when the crown of thorns is shoved on his head, when his body is pierced with the spear in every moment he's drinking from this cup of the judgment of sin against mankind and when he finishes drinking it he cries out it is finished there is no more judgment stored up against you for your sin so that go ahead yes when you, when you understand that picture, that Jesus, when he says it is finished, what he is saying is I fully drank the cup of judgment against sin so that anyone who believes in me by faith does not have to go into eternity under that judgment. Anyone who believes in me by faith comes under grace. When you believe in Jesus by faith, what that means is God no longer sees you in your attempt to be good enough. He no longer sees you in your guilt. He sees you in the grace purchased through faith in Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, here you and I are over here trying really hard to be good enough. And then we make a mistake and we go, oh no, what is God gonna think? 
And so then we're afraid to come near God. We don't want to worship God. We don't want to talk to God because he might condemn us. And all the while, God already took that condemnation and poured it on Jesus. Every attempt in your life to use religion as an attempt to be good enough insults the death of Jesus Christ because that is the very reason he died. Every time you confess your sin and you acknowledge that you're not good enough, every time you recognize that I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, Jesus, I need you, you are affirming the wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. When he died and he said, it is finished, he said, I have paid it in full. My death is sufficient for you and you and you, and there's not anything you've ever done or you could ever do that would take you outside of God's grace. You are loved, you are forgiven, your guilt and shame have been removed and in place of that, he has given you his love. He has placed on you his grace, the riches of God. God's favor, that's grace. So let me challenge you. The next moment when you feel tempted to put on the act, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't need Jesus. And all you've gotta do is come back to the place when you say, I need Jesus again. Every time you fail, every time you sin, every time you say the wrong word, and every time you act the wrong way, you are reminding yourself, that's right, I need Jesus again. Let me, let me give you a really good insight. You are never gonna grow in enough maturity to outgrow your need for Jesus. You will never become so spiritually mature that you don't need Jesus more. You will never get to the place where you no longer need to be forgiven, where you no longer need grace. No, you and I live our lives under the, under the great and powerful and beautiful gift of grace. We need Jesus' cross. We need Jesus' crucifixion. And that's why in, an, in a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, he wrote this in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven through nine. Let me just read this to you. He said this, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So he's saying, as years unfold, God wanted to show how rich he is toward us in grace, expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Let me continue here. For, and then this is his point, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. How, how have you been saved? You've been saved through faith, and, you and what you receive is grace, okay? And this is not from yourself, I mean, you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't do anything to deserve it, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What he's saying, you didn't do anything to earn it, you're never gonna be good enough, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many rules you follow, you're never gonna deserve this, you just receive grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, don't miss this. That means that you and I do not have faith in some generic God. Our faith receives grace when our faith is placed in the real person of Jesus Christ. What you and I need is more of Jesus. Now be careful here because there's a little trick in your minds that so many of us play and the trick is this. We, we're willing to receive that for ourselves, but then we demand religion of others. You want others to follow the rules when you live under grace. 
and you're gonna be tempted to demand others to be good enough. You're gonna, you're gonna, before they're allowed to be in church, before they're allowed to be around you, before they're allowed to be around your kids, they're gonna have to be good enough. That's called religion. Grace says that the only way we're ever gonna be good enough is through Jesus. And so let's make sure that we're willing to offer the same grace to others that we're willing to walk in. God, I need your grace. And now help me to offer grace to others. Help me to remind others that they need grace. They don't need guilt. They don't need rules. They don't need judgment. They need Jesus. And then here's what that does. And let's just continue reading in the letter. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He said this. So remember, he's saying, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast, right? And then he goes like this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's what happens. He goes like this. We think that religion makes us good enough by following rules. So we're doing good because of religion. But what the author of of the letter to Ephesians says is just the opposite. When you have relationship with God through faith in Jesus, you receive grace. Grace transforms you and makes you good, and then you start to do good. You and I have to be made good through faith in Jesus, then we will do good. Here's the point. Grace receives undeserved grace. Goodness! Did you guys catch that? This should transform the way you look at the world around you. Here, here's the point, right? Because it's grace that gives us goodness. We don't do good in order to be good. We become good through faith in Jesus by grace, and then we begin to do good. Did you catch that process? We, we want to show you a little bit about what that looks like. Debbie was sharing her story, her act. And we asked her to share a little bit more of her story. So check this out. I can see how God took a very difficult situation, but at the same time used it in the lives of my sisters and my mom. Shortly before my father passed away, he did come to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. And so I can see how God used that knowledge of of his decision even to help um, temper some of the grief we felt in the midst of his loss. I saw for the first time, I think, the love and compassion that are a part of the family of God. My mom sat each of us down and gave us the freedom to consider what we believed and why. I began to see that I couldn't blame the things wrong things I was doing on lack of opportunities or teaching, but that I was actually responsible for the choices I was making. God used all of that to grow me up in Him and truly begin to transform my life. And it has become probably a lifelong pattern for me to be studying His Word, to be learning more about Him, to be growing in my relationship with Him. And that has changed everything. I am not yet perfected, and yet He is at work in me and through me, growing me up 
in understanding who He is and how good He is. None of the difficulties of my childhood have been wasted because He's able to use all of it and make it a part of His story in my life. It takes a lot of courage for Debbie, for anyone to share their story of how they felt trapped in religion, and but then discovered how God makes us good. And, and that's the key, that we, when we receive grace, with grace comes goodness. And that's what separates Christianity from all religion. The reality is Christianity isn't a religion, because we're not attempting to do good in order to be good. See, every religion in the world does one of two things. Either you're attempting to do good by following the rules in order to impress God so you can get to heaven, or religion just brings God down to being one of us so we don't even have to be good enough to impress him. But Christianity says that God came to us, Jesus died in our place, offers us grace, and when we receive grace through faith in Jesus, with grace, we also receive goodness. Why? Because God deposits Jesus' goodness into our eternal account. When we receive grace through faith in Jesus, what God sees is Jesus' goodness in our lives, which means we aren't good enough but because God is good, he deposits his goodness in us, and as a result, God is good enough. God is good in your life. God is good for us. God is good to us. God is good in us, and God is good through us. I want you to notice, you're never gonna be good enough, but when you believe in Jesus by faith, God sees you as good, and then he pours his goodness in your life, and then he pours his goodness through your life. Stop demanding others to try to be good. Stop trying to expect them to be good enough. Parents, you're not trying to get your kids to be good enough. As a church, we're not trying to make people good enough. We're inviting them to Jesus. And what people need is more of Jesus. And what we discover is that when people fall in love with Jesus and God's goodness is in them, they become good because of Jesus. We need more of Jesus, not more religion. Now I want to invite you to respond. When you came in, we, we gave you these cards, and I asked you all to fill out the cards and write down what is it that you're struggling with where you're trying to be good enough. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that card in your hand, and now I just want to take a moment. I want to pray over you. Jesus, thank you that through faith in you, we receive grace, and with grace, we receive your goodness. And God, we, we thank you for the gift of new life, the gift of grace that we have through faith in you. And right now, God, we thank you that you lift our weight, you lift the burden of religion, and we can lay down our every attempt to be good enough and pick up your grace and pick up your goodness. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's what I want you to do right here and across our campuses. I want to invite you right now to come. That's right, you can come out of your seats. As this song is playing, I'm going to invite you to come, and I'm going to invite you to lay down that card. And in laying down that card, what you're saying is, God, you're good enough. I'm not going to carry this weight. I'm not going to try to be good enough. I trust you, and I receive your grace, and I receive your goodness. So one more time, I invite you to come. And as you come, you can hang out for a moment if you need to. If you want to, there's a team that's willing to pray with you on either side of the stage. But we want to give you an opportunity to physically lay it down, because sometimes a physical step activates a spiritual experience. So would you come? Would you lay those cards down and believe that in turn you're receiving grace and God's goodness by faith. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.com.
www.thepeopleshow.org.